Guys, it's Halloween. We're going to be talking horror today. Good chat. Okay. <laughs> Quick and one. we're done. All right. Cool. What's, <laughs> what's everybody's favorite horror movie? Uh, are we going to roll dice on it? Yep. Let's. Sure. 15. I got an 8. Dan, got a 16. Dan got a 16. Go for it. Beautiful game right, Hold dice. on. Are we talking scariest movie, the thing that scares us the most, or the one that we're most entertained with, or just our favorite for the cool factor? Because there's a big difference between The Purge and The Exorcist. And This is why conversations with nerds are so fucking difficult. I just want to know what your question is. Yeah, we need specifics. Okay, what's... Fuck. What's your... All right. What's the scariest horror movie you've ever seen? There we go. Okay. Jesus so Christ. The scariest Superstar. movie... That's the, mine. <laughs> the movie that scared me the most out of any other movie as a child was The Dark Crystal. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it. Could not. Uh, Jim Henson's Dark Crystal. There's a thing on Netflix now that's a series based, like, that's a prequel to the movie. Um, the Birdman. The, he does puppets, though. Yeah, it's a puppet show. Scared the shit no, out of no, 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 no. It's not a puppet show. It's a puppet show the way that Labyrinth is a puppet. Y'all, you never saw Labyrinth. I didn't no. see Labyrinth. Shit. Okay. It's it's Muppets. But it's like Yoda is a fucking puppet, right? I've never seen Muppets. You've, have you seen Yoda? Have you seen Star Wars? Oh my god! Yeah, I've seen this Yoda. is a horror show. Yeah, this yeah. is the thing. Yeah, this is terrible. No, so it was Dark Crystal. Um, but in terms of like actual horror movies that I did not like, that scared the shit out of me. Um, my first run through of the Hellraiser series really right. got me. So really, that's Terry's jam. No, oh, my first run through. I've never seen it. <laughs> Fuck, really, dude. <laughs> Is it good? Someone who like it climbs is. and it's screams 80. after a goth girlfriend as hard as you do. Is there you, goth girls in it? Uh, it is. It is it's like all latex. It's and all latex and, and BDSM and everything. And this is called Hellraiser. Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. I'll be. I'll be watching Hellraiser later on. So. Yeah. Anyways, am I Adam? saying it right? No, I, I came oh, in yeah. last. So, yeah. Terry, what's your scariest movie? Oh shit! Uh, I didn't even think before. Uh, my scariest movie. Uh, uh, um, do you know what? I don't give a fuck what anybody out there says. I'm not saying this is the scariest one, but one I was most impressed with. I really enjoyed the Insidious series because when yeah, I watched I'm when I you. first watched Insidious, it was in 2010 with a room full of British soldiers, and the way that they did it, where you had to be only some people saw the thing that made you jump and others didn't. Half the room would jump and yell, oh, fuck. And the other half was going, what, what, what was it? And I thought it was very clever how they did that. Um, and for that reason, I enjoyed that more than other movies. That was more, uh, what's his name, James Wan? James Wan can kiss my ass. I'm so done with James Wan bullshit. I mean, look. I don't know who Aquaman was. was Anyways. <laughs> I, I said, saw the, I, please say Aqua, I, not Aqua. I, I saw Insidious, and I thought it was really cool until they went to the Hell Dimension. Mm -hmm. That was the weakest Hell Dimension I've ever seen. Yeah. They just went down. Suddenly it was Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. With a red filter well, on look, it. look, I answered my own question in a no. hurry, and I didn't know what to say. All right. Uh, my favorite's Exorcist, and I know it's really straightforward and simple. Ah, but shit, I should have said The Exorcist. That, when I saw it, I was like 16, and I was alone. It was 2 in the morning, lights out. That freaking terrified me. I was used to seeing Scream, and I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Slasher flicks. And, oh, I love yeah, the slasher flicks. I love slasher flicks, too. I'm all over Halloween um, and, and Friday the 13th and, and, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street. I love Freddy Krueger. I was not prepared for the slow burn, never taking your foot off, ramping up of the yeah, intensity of it. And I don't think I've seen a movie that's... Jaws did that. Jaws was a constant, <clears throat> constant... The last act of it yeah. was a constant um, ramp up into horror and fear and... Uh, I don't know, man. I, I love 
I love it. I mean, Alien is the same thing for me. I want that that moment where you never know when it's coming. Yeah. And you have just you don't realize you've clenched every muscle in your body for the last hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the movie ends and you finally relax and you go, holy shit, I didn't realize what the thing as I well know. does yeah. that as well. I never got that because you just mentioned slasher movies. I never got that from slasher movies. Slasher no. movies never bothered me ever. Being that most of them are set in a country that we may argue too many people are getting shot in. Slashers should not be an issue in these movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It ne- I'm always like, I, I, shoot I, them. I like slasher flicks for something to sit back and slasher laugh Slasher movies at. would be believable in the UK because there's no guns on that island. So like, they'd be believable because everybody's going, what the fuck do we do here? Yeah, cool. I don't know. It depends on the slasher. Some of them are really fun. Some of them are hyper aware of themselves. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, still give me Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. I'll watch Cabin in the Woods more than I'll watch Exorcist. Yeah. Right? For Chris so. Hemsworth, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Isn't Liam in that one? No. 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 Okay. Sorry. Liam's just going to take you on a nice date and wine and dine you. Chris Hemsworth's going to make you believe in God, if you don't already, with his dick. Anyway. It's called Mjolnir. <laughs> Run the credits. <laughs> Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. So welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I am Terry, and with me are Adam and Dan, and today we're talking about horror. 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 This is, go- this is going to be a rough episode horror. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Hold the door. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Too soon. Hudor. 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 <laughs> that was terrifying. Anyway, spoiler alert for that. Fuck. <laughs> so usually before we go into these episodes, guys, we usually have a little bit of a a, a chat about whatever we're, we're building up to and, and we kind of do backstory and things like that. We don't really have that with horror. Um, but what we're going to talk about first, topic one, I want to talk about how we create atmosphere at the table and in our games. We can roll initiative on it. I'll throw out a quick uh, subheading for you guys, and then you guys can let us know, and the listeners, um, how you implement this thing. So, for example, first of all, we're going to talk about how you guys set the stage in your games with regards to horror and atmosphere. Sure. Are you ready to roll? Let's do it. See that trick shot there, Dan? See what it did there? I rolled a three. Who rolled a two? Adam? Oh. Dan, you rolled a six. Yeah, and six. thusly, you get to go first. Um, you set your room atmosphere to match the tone, or at least set the stage for the tone of the game you want to play. So you are dimming the lights, you're uh, running off candles. Uh, if you have some sort of uh, creepy music playing in the background, you're you're golden, right? This, um, this is not you're not doing a horror campaign at, at two p.m. on a sunny no, July no. afternoon. No, you're you're making sure it is night and the sun has set when you're really getting into it. Um, mm-hmm. And and you've built characters. I think it's very important to build characters with uh, um, flaw with some sort of uh, uh, negative to them. I think that's also incredibly important. But uh, to set atmosphere, you want there to be a um, weight in the room uh, with the lights, the music, the um, just the tone in the room before people even sit down. You, right. you've, you've set their expectations off right out the gate. Adam, is there anything that you'd add or remove from what Dan just said? Um, well, I've got my own answer. I, I, yeah, I've got stuff to add to that. 
sure. when, when it's my turn. I, I'm, I'm all over lighting candles and, and adding music, but I mean, you guys know me. When I'm DMing, I don't put music in the... I'm, I never control it. I always say, if you want to play music on your phone and you want to add a little atmospheric thing, you go absolutely nuts. But I can't... I can't take care of YouTube ads, right, or a Spotify playlist. Yeah, I'm doing a million other things. Yeah, so um, I'm all for. Man, there are not enough hours in a week <laughs> to, to properly prep for DM the way for DMing the way that I want to. Yeah. So I hear what you say, and while it's great to turn off the lights, you still have to be able to see your character sheet, and maybe that's not always an option. Not everybody has dimmer switches, right? So I mean, you do what you can to. To mitigate it as much as possible, and so I don't know. I'll I'll hit my answer, Terry. I think you were next. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think you should set the environment based on what you know makes the players uncomfortable, and you can get this from your session zero. Just go buy tarantulas and let them loose in the room. Well, there we go. Exactly. So we used to play with our friend Jess, Australian Jess, as she's known (laughs) in Canada. An Australian Jess was one of the rare Australians that's terrified of spiders. I don't know how that works. No, I don't no. understand that either. I don't think she really is Australian. I think it was a lie. <laughs> um, but so, so whatever props you want to use, that would be something that I would put around because that will naturally make her feel uncomfortable. Her brain will look at a realistic looking spider model and it will just naturally know fear. Someone who's claustrophobic, I might make the room feel very claustrophobic. Now, hold on. I, all right, I'm with you and I think it's super effective. Okay. But you got to be really clear with your session zero about... People's boundaries and shit. Yeah, yeah. I, well, we'll get there. Okay, all right. I'm finished. All right. So claustrophobic, if somebody's afraid of... There's people out there that don't like too much space if they feel exposed. I'd be clearing out that room, putting everybody in the middle of the table and an empty room if I knew that was going to make somebody feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, there's boundaries and things, but there's boundaries in everything. If you're coming to a horror game, you need to clear up what your boundaries are in session zero. If you haven't cleared that up, you're fair game to me. Okay, you should say, this is a hard stop. You know you're playing a horror game. There is something that in within the horror realm that is going to be a hard no. We got to know that because I have to find a way to scare you. Yeah. So you got to be honest with me. I think one thing that a lot of people also miss, uh, miss with this is uh, the temperature of the room as well. So if you are playing something that is a... Um, you want people to be uncomfortable. You want people to be kind of hyper aware of their surroundings. Throw on the AC. I don't care if you're in the middle of... Oh, that uh, would just piss me off if right? it was cold. Bring, bring everybody into a cold room, right? Not not like frigid, not so cold everyone wants to bundle up, but just enough so that it's a little uncomfortable, right? And then... No, I, I'm a fan of them bundling up too because then they've got to come out of their shell every time they reach out to pick up their dice. Yeah. Right? They're coming out of their comfort zone. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I like that. I wouldn't I wouldn't make it too warm, I'll tell you that. Yeah. That would just piss me right off. I'm Hard sweating on. through the I remember sweating through the summers in, in your freaking apartment. Oh, my God. Good Lord. That was, <laughs> that was painful. I would that was lo- so bad. I would lose we just went outside in that little point. room. One point we were like, fuck this. We're going outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I lost weight playing D&D that summer. <laughs> Shit. No, it's okay. like a boxing cut. So yeah. so my answer is a little bit different. If you cannot control the environment the way that Dan says, if you're not sure what your players' boundaries are or what their phobias are, like Terry says, you do know yourself. Yeah. And you do know the tone around the table. And it doesn't take much for a DM to suddenly become very serious. Not mad, just no more fun. And... I often control my own facial features and my own... I will give less and less information as time goes on. Hey, is, is this going to work? Uh, 
I don't know. You, you could try it. Hmm. Uh, that 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 didn't work. I'm controlling my own tone, and I'm I'm slowing the pace of the game down. Yeah, there's more anticipation involved, and so by controlling myself as a dungeon master, or even as a player, and slowing down, if I want everyone else to get more invested, I will become more scared at the table, and through my own ability of controlling my own voice and body and whatnot, mm-hmm. and it can just be body language too. Yeah, and um, there's nothing more effective than a <sighs> okay. Yeah. And that'll do it. That'll bring everybody into your level, right? Yeah. And the reason that happens as well is as the, as the DM at the table, you're the appointed leader at that table. And so they will mirror how you're acting and you're setting the atmosphere. It's like when you walk into a restaurant. If you walk in and the staff in there clearly don't give a shit, you go, I don't like this place. And it takes three seconds. Yeah. If you walk into a place where you be, you're being treated a certain way or certain expectations are being laid out by how, how the appointed leader is acting, you will mirror that. So exactly what you're saying there, Adam, if you're acting scared or you're acting serious, you're acting ominous, the player's behavior will reflect that. You're not going to have the jackass at the table for very long if nobody else is acting like that. Nobody wants to be the odd one out unless you have zero social intelligence. Yeah, which, I mean, there are those people. It's D&D. They're out there. Right, yeah. You are going to attract walks of all life, right? But the, the other thing, too, if you are not comfortable, again, like presenting yourself if you don't think you've got the acting chops to be able to do it put an npc in the scared npc the one that is legitimately terrified that just doesn't know there was a thing in the dark and i don't know yeah i was standing beside him one minute and then he was gone the next everyone needs their own winky yeah for that for those of you not listening to to deep darker radiance what the hell is wrong with you (laughs) dan's playing with, with his winky so well, everyone plays with my winky. So anyway, I you both of you, I think of the people around the table, you two played with my winky the most. I think I just swore at it a whole bunch and misnamed it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks for that tangent, Dan. The point is, <laughs> the point is that no matter how serious you're going to be, there's going to be some dickhead at the table that derails you. Yeah, um, and and so being able to bring it back over and over, and maybe using an NPC as a crutch, um, is. As, as their version, the same way that, you know, Frodo was the audience's window into the world of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. right? And Luke Skywalker was the audience's window into into Star Wars. You can have an NPC be the player's window into what is this haunted house, right. this this bog, this graveyard, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, Well, just like any good comedy needs a straight man, any good, like the, the, the base level human that, like everything is normal. You need the normal guy. You need the... Um, person who would disappear into a crowd because he's just so beige. Like, you need that kind of character for any good comedy to be funny. You need that character for any good horror to be scary. Yeah, and it also that's going to hit harder when you eviscerate him. Yeah. And they only find a finger later, right? Exactly, like, yeah. Man. Yeah, okay. Well, next, we won't go to it just this second. I want to talk about uh, listening and reacting at the table to keep your horror, horror campaign on the rails that you want it to be on. Uh, but first, we're going to jump to a commercial. So let's go. Are you interested in advertising or becoming a sponsor on our show? Email us at info at Okay, team, so we're going to roll initiative again. Um, what I want to ask you guys is I want your own take on reading your player's Uh, We can even touch on respecting the social contracts and at the same time still trying to push boundaries. And and then building off of that, details to include within your campaign and details to avoid. 
You guys ready? I'm not ready. You guys are. I got an 18. Dan rolled a nat 20. Dan rolled a nat 20. I'm going last. Is this the first time you ever got a 20? I think it's the first time I got a 20. I've never seen you roll a natural 20 ever in the whole time that we've rolled dice together. You, were you not there for that one session where I rolled like nope. 13 of them in one session? No, no that was that was 13 natural ones. That was 13 natural ones. Yeah. 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 No. I'm pretty, I'm pretty All right, terrible at this Dan, game. I guess we're going in the same order again. Yeah. So, what's the question? Oh, my goodness, Dan. You're the worst. No, there was a lot there. Like, what do you want me to focus on? I want you to touch on reading your players and from reading your players, respecting their, their social contracts while pushing their boundaries. And from that, based off of that, details to include, details not to include. Um, so of course, everything you talk about in a session zero is going to be integral for this. Uh, if you have a lot of history with your, uh, players, you might not need to ask the question, you know, Hey, what irks you? Uh, cause you might know, cause you've been friends with these people for a long time. But if you don't have that luxury, ask in the uh, session zero, not just to find out what not to do but also to figure out where that line is so you could push up against it. Um, what I would recommend, and I did this with the Call of Cthulhu game, is we had someone at the table who was brand new, had never played any sort of tabletop RPG at all, and she kind of became my litmus test for what we were doing. I, I picked her out of the crowd because she was the one that was having the more authentic reactions to everything because everyone was kind of in their head about the characters, but she was reacting to everything. So I found that one person at the table and then I, judging on her emotions, that's where I led the game. So uh, she would jump back and be um, scared or she'd be cringing at some sort of gore or body horror thing. And I would know where that line is. So it's it's paying attention to your table um, and, and setting that up in the session zero as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, now as for what to do for, um, what to, what to do and what to leave out, Mm -hmm. um, I, this will surprise no one in the podcast when it comes to things like, uh, that are hypersexualized or anything else like that, I get a bit iffy. So, um, when it comes to my horror games, I tend not to include those things. You just pitched Hellraiser. Yeah, it was a good show. Uh. But I, I got to watch Hellraiser now. I am not running a Hellraiser campaign. Is it good? Well, am I going to like Hellraiser? It's super 80s. If you're okay with it being super 80s... I was just okay. watching Top Gun last night, man. No, it's it the wrong kind of 80s. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's low production value, but... And I only know two 80s. Patrick Swayze or Tom Cruise. That's all I know. Okay. We need to educate the fuck out of you. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. We'll get to this another Anyways, panel. so that's me. Ah, uh, you know what? Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out how <laughs> That's to. I, a long pause. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna just, edit that down for sure. I'm trying to figure out how to. Uh, I just paused for three and a half minutes. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out how to put this into words. As, mu- as much <laughs> well, as hopefully you do, because it's an audio medium. <laughs> uh, interpretive dance, it is. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> I, oh, no, actually, I, I fully. Actually, I really did get something from that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Fuck you guys. <laughs> How's that train of thought going? <laughs> Derailed at the station. All right. So when it comes to horror, I think that the amount of horror that you include um, is not necessarily only about the content itself and the, and the subject matter. I'm, I want to talk about the details involved. Mm-hmm. Getting very, very, very specific 
can elicit a very different reaction out of out of different people. For example, if I punch Dan in the face or I hit him in the face in character, right? Like like this. Ah! So, but if Oh my if, god, that was the worst fight ever. <laughs> um please don't hit me again. If if I've got a monster that hits Dan in the face and he takes 13 hit points, that's not scary. But when the claw digs into his eye socket and removes the bottom half of his eyelid, mm-hmm. right? I'm getting specific. You're still taking damage. It's the same amount of damage. But the more that I get into the specifics of it, the more gruesome it can be. But on the other side of it, as much as, as it can be about the specificity of the damage and the body horror as well, and the creepiness of the ghost and getting into the fact that it's missing an arm or the clothes are all tattered from whatever horrid thing that happened to it. A lot of what horror is, and what again, I'm talking about Exorcist and Alien and even Hellraiser as well. It was all about the anticipation. We've yeah. lost that in regular media now. That's why um, uh, The Haunting of Hill House was so impressive to everybody these days was because it was a slow burn drawing out suspension yeah Yeah, and we don't normally get that anymore we instead we get the nun right where that was exactly how much suspension was in it yeah none so yeah do you like that terry yeah it took me a minute (laughs) so the nun is when you finally like toss the towel in on uh james wan movies eh no i tossed it on insidious oh really yeah so um no, I, I think that withholding information as well, letting them jump to conclusions. Let them... Don't say there is a, a baby ghost in the crib. Tell them that the crib is full of dark, wet matter. And let them go in there and try to figure out what that is. Yeah. Don't, don't spoon feed it to them. Let them explore it and discover it. And when if you can lead them there without saying it and they make the discovery... That is more real and more horrifying. Well, that's what the scary part is. If you think of any horror movie, you're no longer scared as soon as you find out what it is. It's the anticipation. That is why... Suspense. I, and it's um, the movie Alien. Yeah. Right? Where we had Ridley Scott, who didn't show us the monster till the very end. Yeah. And then James Cameron came around and just pissed all over the whole franchise by going, look at this, look at this. And now there's a big one over here. And this one's a dog one. And everyone has guns. Yeah. Right? And it went from a horror movie to an action movie. Yeah. Correct. And the and the entire franchise never recovered. Yeah. Right? So. Right. Yeah. And it's the same... It was the same idea with Predator as well. Yeah. Terrifying when you could... You did not know what this thing was. You're, you're seeing it through weird alien eyes when you got the point of view yeah. on it. You heard the weird clicking noises and shit mm-hmm. and the shimmer. And you're like, what am I dealing with? Right? Yeah. And I think I just want to add on for my turn, Adam. Add on to something you were saying there. Were you saying to be descriptive is, you know, instead of just saying I hit Dan, but how it was done to scare them. But I also think recognize again what your players are scared of and lean into that. So, for example, if somebody is scared by, you know, the idea of blood and gore and things. If the giant spider is attacking that person, that is the part I'll describe. If it's like Australian Jess, who's terrified of the spider itself, I will be attacking, uh, sorry, talking about the hairs coming down your cheek and the eyes and what it looks like as it gets closer. Yeah, you really have to cater what the details are. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. If somebody's very claustrophobic, I'd be talking about them feeling pressed into the corner as this thing moves towards. Which is what Dan was talking about with reading the table properly and, and, and having a gauge at the table to watch them squirm and say, that's the right level for that person. But then I would turn around and say, what's the right level for the next person? Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to change person 
person to person drastically. And, so and you got to try to pay attention to your players. You're right. And this is how far you push. Remember, people play horror D&D games, go and watch horror movies because it is a form of entertainment. There are people out there, not always Dan, I know, but there are people out there, me and you, Adam, that we find entertaining when we are put in that position where we're scared. And if you look out to an audience in a horror movie, they will be, yes, scared and reacting, but they will also be smiling and laughing and they'll turn to each other because their friend jumped and things. So you have to read that in the table when the jump scares come, when the anticipation is happening and they're kind of squirming, but they're still enjoying it. As soon as you see that smile leave, that's when you stop pushing. I got a quick little anecdote just to add on to exactly that. Sure. That. Um, so I worked, uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times, I worked at a haunted event as a scary clown. And one of the biggest phobias out there for people is the phobia of clowns. Clowns, right? yeah. So um, we would run around and terrorize people. And we always had the permission as clowns to be able to pull back and become funny. Right. Whereas the other monsters had to be demons and zombies yeah. and they don't have the ability to entertain as well as scare. As a clown, you did. If you push too far, you can then try to make it better. Yeah. But there are some people that no matter what you did, the more clown like you got, the more entertaining, the worse it would get for them. Yeah. So the idea was to terrify someone, scare them. But you're waiting for that moment, the adrenaline rush, the jump, the run, the stop and drop, the whatever it is, the grabbing on to their friend or their significant other, burying their face in them. And, and what you're doing is you're waiting to find that laugh yeah. that comes out, that nervous, like, oh, God, okay, the adrenaline hit, and I don't know what to do with my energy now, so all I can do is laugh. Yeah. If that laughter does not come, if it's crying, you know to stop. But if it just stops and they deadpan, that's when you know you're going to get hit. Yeah. Because it's fight or flight, and they that's don't the, think they can the escape. the movie scene stops, then you go, that's when I knew I'd fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you look right, that, that's when you cut to the to the office interview, yeah. right? And they look into the, hmm, that could have gone better. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just about seeing the people that are reacting and cringing at the table and freaking out and squirming. It's about the people that are not reacting. And I don't mean just looking at their phone. I mean the ones that are very, very still that are probably holding on to an object a little bit too tightly and are staring at anything except a human being. And they're just breathing through their nostrils. It's like a survival mode. That yeah, kind of go into. where they're just patiently waiting for this, this overwhelming panic to leave. Yeah. If you can hit that at a table, that could be either incredibly rewarding and they'll come to you afterwards and go, that was frightening, or incredibly damaging, at which point they'll come to you and say, I didn't like that, don't do it again. Yeah. And you won't know, they probably won't come to you for two or three weeks, right, as they process it. So, yeah. Well, we have these kind of social rules as well that nobody wants to be the odd one out. Nobody wants to kind of rock the boat. They, and, and nobody wants to cause a fuss. And so people will hold things in. We see it, how many times have you seen, I don't know, like even like comedy shows and things where people don't agree with what's being said and they sit there and they sit there and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and the people will go a long time before they walk out. It's the same with this. People will just, if other people are laughing and dealing with it, they'll just deal with it and they'll just sit and they'll suffer. But you have to have that, that social intelligence to see that it's not working for them. Well, look, I'll, I'll tell you this. Horror and comedy are the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's about suspense. It's about repetition, usually in threes. And you'll notice it in every horror movie where they do the fake out scare twice and then hit you. Yeah. Right. And it is about the idea of uh, the unexpected hitting. And that's a big factor in horror. It, it's the idea that they don't know what's coming yet. And their imagination is going to be a hundred times worse than whatever you provide. And if you are able to provide something worse than their imagination, then they will remember it forever. 
Dan will never forget what I put him through in that haunted pirate ship. Yeah. That, like, even now, he just made a face. Nobody could see it. But it made him uncomfortable. It made him really uncomfortable. Yep. I took a huge risk on that as a DM, especially because I had a I new player. I said that a few times since. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big risk, Adam. You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it, I think that paid off if I pushed it any further. If you if you had found chunks inside those regs, that would have been too. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, well, and we've talked about how like your players, even if it's a long suspenseful thing, are going to employ different coping mechanisms to handle it. On top of giggling, on top of doing that, like I started dehumanizing the things that were scaring me and freaking me out. Right, and and and. That's what I had to do, and and you kind of rolled with it, but at some point you were just like, no, 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 it's not a goop sack, Dan. It's something else. And I'm like, don't mess with kids in my games, man. Mm. Yeah, and and that's just it, is you have to, again, when they start laughing, it's probably nervous laughter. If they are sitting there making fun of the name of the monster or the NPC, and uh, it runs with butts, so, haha. Yeah. They may just be uncomfortable. Yep, and you may maybe you should just let them have that joke. When it starts becoming a running joke that derails your tone, then I'd shut that shit down and have that person explode, or get like horribly gutted in front of them. Right, <laughs> take their funny and immediately remove it. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Did we answer your question, Derry? Yes, you did. Uh, yeah, you both did. <laughs> it's great. Um, okay, well, let's move on to a shout out, Adam. I know you would like to speak about the. Deep Dark of Radiance game? Yeah, well, I'm really excited about this whole week. Halloween is my favorite. Is I my... love Halloween. You guys know why I love Halloween. But... Yeah, yeah, because of vampire chicks. That's true. As a parent of three toddlers, I have grown to love Halloween because they go out and get candy and then I get to eat it all. You're just a bad person. We do Halloween very differently. It's all about candy for me. It is for me too, but she's she works. To, never mind. Okay, so <laughs> no, no, candy with a Y, not an I. Oh, gotcha. yeah, I candy okay. the goth girl that works down. Anyway, yeah. All right. So, is it the one with the? Never mind. We'll talk later. Yeah. So anyway, the tattoo. I didn't the, know you could pierce that. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> um, so Halloween is my favorite, and we have been pushing so hard this month. I think we've got like fifteen or sixteen episodes that have dropped in freaking October. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Um, crowded, just, just real, real moment. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Good, but I love the idea of of the Call of Cthulhu. Dan, you handled it really well. We've got a whole bunch of Cthulhu and Great Old One stuff happening this week. Yeah, uh, we've got our Halloween special that drops on Halloween, which is the same day that we we do our kind of debriefing with everybody. The last episode of the Deep Dark of Radiance just dropped yesterday. So I bet there are some people that are checking their Spotify or iTunes or whatever and seeing, oh, there's two episodes that dropped back to back. I haven't heard the Call of Cthulhu one yet. Mm -hmm. So we really busted ass on this and I'm super, super excited about it. Um, if you haven't been paying attention, go back and listen. You don't have to listen to episode zero if you don't want. We put a lot of time and effort into it, but the story kicks off in episode one. So anyway, happy Halloween to everybody, I guess. Everything that we do at It's a Mimic is a little bit horror-ish, monster-ish anyway. Yep. Uh, including the cakes we eat, apparently. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And guys, this was exactly, this week was exactly one year ago that we sat down and recorded our first beta version of um, the It's a Mimic podcast with oh, the God, three of us. Don't bring that up. That is scary. Yeah, which nobody has ever heard and never will. But that was the first time the three of us huddled around a microphone and it was bad. It was bad. You want to talk about horror? 
That was scary. <laughs> We've come a long way since then. It, it's it's somewhere in the archive somewhere. It might see the no. light of day. Nope. nope. It never will. Nope. It never will. That was back when he was known as Terry. Yeah. <laughs> and we're doing so well now that we all of us are getting paid for our work on the podcast. It's Everyone except intern Dave. Yeah. Who, by the way, is going to be in the uh, special. And the uh, intern special. Dave is backed by popular demand. Yeah. Yeah. Turns yeah. out he's not French. <laughs> Turns out you were. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Right. <laughs> Occasionally. When Other you times he was accent. Moroccan. Yeah. <laughs> he was fucking terrible. <laughs> I just anyway. paid attention to my French friends and I'm like, oh, you actually don't say those words anything like how I was saying it. But okay, that's fine. <laughs> anyway, um, we are so happy, exhausted from, from this last month, but we're incredibly happy with... With October, it is our favorite time of year. I think, for sure. Yeah. All of us. So, um, you guys have two days, I think, until Halloween hits. And is anybody going as a Dungeons & Dragons character for Halloween? No. Is anybody going to cosplay? I don't mean us. I mean out there in the in the internet world. Oh, well, we in should podcast land. Well, they should let us know. Yeah. I, I will absolutely post a whole shit ton of pictures. There's got to be some people. You'll, gotta, you'll also probably do something. And we... we Maybe yeah, there's, there's accounts out there. I think we'll I keep going it. to every party store that I see has got Viking this, and I'm like, oh, that's half a barbarian costume. Or it's like, oh, you can get the cheap sword, foam sword. And I'm like, I can use that as a prop, and I just want to go grab every skull and candle and shit that I can for D and D. Yeah, Halloween is a great time to, to get props. Yeah. Okay, so team topic three. I want to talk about the payoff. The first three things we're going to talk about is dropping the hammer, how we do it, when we do it, your methods for it. The escalation and the fear. And then I have one more question for everybody after that, but I won't ask it just yet. Sure. You guys ready? Let's go. 12. 13. 5. Oh, yes. That red wall. That's fine. I get to go first. Dropping the hammer. Adam's already talked about it, but I'm going to talk about it again. That was my nickname in college. <laughs> is the hammer your penis? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Dan. Yep. No. Not on this podcast. It's the though. screwdriver. Adam talked about drawing it out and that is the <laughs> it doesn't get better it doesn't get better, doesn't get better. Uh, All right, I'm good. so excited for the D&D cosplay nerds to do their, their costumes as well I yeah. know the accounts I'm going um, draw it out example is a, a book that I'm reading right now okay let me tell you guys something, all right? Dan, I'm going to tell you something. He's saying this like it's a big thing that Terry reads. Like, look, what do you, what, why do you think I don't read? No, no, I think you're I very smart. I, I have lent him brilliant more books person. than you. Oh, that book you lent me, by the way, is incredible. Right? And I am reading it. Yeah, Which it's book? so good. Flowers for Eldernon. I mentioned oh. it a few episodes ago. So good. You, you should so have good. at it afterwards. Yes. Yeah. I'm yeah. making my way through the Dark Towers. Dan, right I'm now. reading a BDSM book, all right? Okay. Is it Hellraiser by Clive Barker? It's not. Okay, never mind. It should be. But, and the reason I started reading this is because I uh, used to read uh, the Anne Rice uh, books, the vampire books, and we were talking about those recently. Yeah. Started reading them, talked to a friend of mine. She was like, hey, you got to read these other books by Anne Rice. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if this is Fifty Shades, Terry, then we're we're just canceling this. No. Did did, did you actually know that Fifty Shades started as a Twilight fanfic? Everybody knows that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also terrible. Yeah. It's not good. Well, this, this I'll take your word for it. Based man. off listen, the source material. Anyway, listen, I'm reading this book, okay? And what I realized when I was talking about the push, push, is it'll push you, push you, push you, stop, 
bring you back. Push you, push you, push you a bit further. Stop. I'm not talking about, what's it called? Edging? Shit. Edging, that's it. Rackham told me what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> edging. I I <laughs> you got there before me. I was like, I was like, Jackie Rackham told me what it was. And I can't remember what it is. <laughs> and I'm legit. Damn, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> push, push, bring back, push, push, and and it was it was not just drawing the suspense out for a long time. This applies to horror and <laughs> sex apparently, <laughs> but it was getting almost there and then pulling you in and get it almost there because for yes that type of book it's going to do something for you but also for horror it's that continued stress oh my god oh my god you just want it to be over you can't handle the suspense anymore so it shouldn't be one long drawn out bit of suspense i think you get so close you're dangling over the edge and then we bring you back and we keep doing that multiple multiple times like you said the two fake scares then the real scare yeah um uh that is my suggestion for dropping the hammer with regards to escalation don't ever tell them how to feel. As a dungeon master, be purely neutral. Yes, you can kind of start to adjust how you're acting a little bit to, to reflect how, what you want to put into the game. But I don't think you should ever straight out say, and you are scared. This frightens you. This You shouldn't ever be like that. You should just be neutral because it's unnerving for people. For fear, remember fear is fun. But fear is also the fact that you enjoy being scared... I find it to also be, Danny, you ready? It's a form of perversion, is the way I look at it. It is a kink, okay? Because we enjoy it, even though we know it's not normal type of behavior. That's the way I look at it. You are getting pleasure out of this thing. And I think that's why we should push people to the edge and then bring them back and then push them on again. You guys, I feel like I've lost you in the room. No, no, out, no, no I'm, I'm, there are many, many jokes that I'm refraining that you're from saying. Back. It looked like you guys looked down and I was like, that's why I rounded up what I was saying real no, quick. No, 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 I'm still processing. I'm trying to figure out if that's, see, I think fear is something radically different. What do you think it is? Fear is the absolute absence of hope. No, that's legitimate fear. I'm talking fear for entertainment. Scare me. Make me feel scared. It's. Fear for the form of entertainment. Well, yeah, the, if you're getting, if you are wanting to be scared for entertainment, you're looking for that endorphin rush. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, but people that want to be scared for entertainment, they want it, they want jump scares, right? Or they want to say, oh, that's gross. <laughs> and then it's a fleeting fear that we're not talking dread. We're not talking doom. Mm. We're talking that, that, and I guess this is why I think that you're probably right about it being a perversion. It's, it's a titillation of a, of a natural impulse yes. that we can't control, right? Yeah. And that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. But I would see, I play with a different kind of fear. Yeah. So that's, that's, I, I don't think, was I next? You are next. All right. Um, I got totally lost when I left the freaking for room. Me, for me, it is, though, it's that long drawn out suspense that it kind of, that does sort of titillate me. I'm like, oh my God. Like it's, it does. Ex- it excites me. That's why I like it. I, uh, I've always said that when when everybody gets up and leaves the room at the end of a D and D session, whether it is an action session or a comedy session or whatever it is, everyone should be emotionally spent. They should yeah. walk out and, and go. You know what? I need a beer. Yeah. Like let's all go do something. I'm still interested in hanging out. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Or you know, it's the end of the day and I'm really tired and this is great. But I need to unwind from that shit. It needs to build and build and build and build and build. Yeah. Right, so that's that's the big thing about the concept of horror and fear for me. When I talk about dropping the hammer, I so here's the thing that I'm not sure that anybody else has ever picked up, but I start sowing the seeds of my 
legit horror three sessions in advance. Yeah. And when I talk about the slow build, I'm talking about the payoff at the end of the dungeon, not when you're in the beginning of the dungeon. You need to sow the seeds of the cultists are weird before they even decide to go after the cultists. And then when they go through the temple and then the catacombs beneath and then they get end up in the dungeons and there's the altar to Orcus and, and it all gets weirder and darker and grosser and you've already set the tone. You've already been building and they don't even know it, right? And they were all laughing in the tavern about, oh, what kind of weird. But you are slowly becoming more serious as you go and you are slowly bringing in the dread and you have legitimately threatened something they care about. Whether it's an item or an NPC or a mount or whatever it is, you have you've given them that threat early. That's me dropping the hammer is me taking away your your stone hawk before we go down in, into the snake catacomb. Yeah. Which I did to you, right? Awful. Where Dan, I I spent three months talking to you about the fact that your daughter is missing and what that what's that like yep. before we ever went anywhere near a haunted pirate ship because I wanted to drop you guys into it, right? So that you were were seeing how dark and evil and nasty that loss is a real threat here, and even though that wasn't the theme of the the dungeon or the the next two or three sessions, it gave you the sudden idea that this is no longer fun in games. There's a real loss about something that I give a shit about. So the worst thing that can happen to a D&D player, I mean, ideally, short of there being some sort of horrid RPG horror story, right? Um, the worst thing that can happen is a character dying. And so what is, because uh, now you have to give up on that. So how do you say your character could die without saying, hey, guys, this is really deadly? And it's by dropping little hints that threats are real. Yeah. yeah. And if you're playing in a group that is far more tactically based, like is not used to being emotionally invested in the characters, you have to start early. Find out what, uh, like three or four sessions in advance to really try to at least get some sort of grip into your players to build up towards this this horror session that you are planning. One, one right? the, because if it's a tactics game, they're just going to shoot it in the face with their arrows and they're going to move on and they're not going to It depends what they're way. afraid of. I, I hear what you're saying. But that's why I'm saying you have to, it's not just the characters, you have to attack the players. What is that one player afraid of? Exactly, but, yeah. Right, which is why I say the player's afraid of losing their character. If it's a tactical game, they've min-maxed the shit out of this. They've put hours into thinking about this, and they've reworked their character sheet three times before it ever showed up yeah. to a table. And now here you are doing charisma damage. What? That's not fair. That can happen? Oh, shit. And the moment they have that oh, shit moment, this is real now. Yeah. And... They're going to be tactical because they are in fear yep. of losing. Exactly. And so that's why I say you have to make that fear, that loss, very real. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and what that also is, is you are removing their sense of control. If they've min-maxed their players because they're tactically based, and then I got this, I'm min-maxed, I can do this much damage per round, I can do this, I can do this. Okay, well, we're doing charisma damage. They have lost control. Now they feel vulnerable. Yeah. That's where fear comes from. You, do you want to know how I, how I show people that they lose control? Is by... Everyone assumes the DM has control when I as a DM have very little control. I control the surrounding and I set it up. And then the players have full agency. Yeah. The players always have control. 
So when shit starts to go really, really, really wrong, because I have built an incredibly difficult encounter ahead of time, and then I get that look on my face like, oh my god, someone may die. I didn't plan for this. Holy shit, I'm stressed out. The DM has lost control of this. The monster's just running, and you guys need to find a way to kill this in two rounds. And you got to keep it away from that guy over there making death saves. Yeah. And I, there's nothing I can do here. And what do you mean you don't have health potions? Who still has sl- slots for cure wounds? Nobody? Oh. Oh, I'm scared. And now, this is an imaginary and, game. And now, and now, I'm flipping through the monster manual, and I put the monster manual, and I stare at it for a moment, and I'm I'm looking at freaking elves, and I'm like, "Well, shit." And I close it, and I put it down, and I just keep my hand on the monster manual, and take a deep breath. That's going to terrify everybody at the table, right? Because I have lost control, and I'm trying to regain control. Mm-hmm. And like you guys said before, they're going to take their cue from you. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So I think Dan, were you? Uh, everything that I was going to bring up has been said. That's right? the worst thing about going last is well, everybody it, says everything. And then and like, <sighs> it's hard. I don't. It, it is hard, but like building that dread, building that uh, sense of foreboding in your in your group, whether or not it's a tactical, whether or a uh, very character driven, role play heavy type campaign. Um, you're going to have to really play to the table as best you can. Um, if it's a very tactical based game, the, the DM is an adversary, so they might not take your body, bodily cues very well because they're already against you. They're not connected to you. They're against you. And, and, and that, if it's a very tactically uh, minded game, and I've played in those type of games, um, so you got to do other things, and it's it's about making them feel vulnerable, like you said earlier, Terry. Like attacking those uh, up till now unattackable stats that they treasure. Yeah, right? yeah, they didn't realize that alignment shifts were on the table. Yeah, right? like, or, or they didn't realize that uh, suddenly dismemberment's on the table, and now they have to deal with their fighter who has one leg. Been there, right? Three times. Uh, so. <laughs> Like it, it, it's it's you have to get creative if you want to if you're going to foster horror and you're going to foster fear it stems from vulnerability and you need to be able to make your players whether it's them they themselves their characters or um, that important NPC around them whatever you pull on to enable that uh, vulnerability you you gotta. Strum those strings. Yeah. Okay, I, I got one more question. Terry, look, you're winding up for the next thing, but I got I to ask. Sure. Because we've talked about um, horror within combat when you hit and you describe and get specific. We yeah. talked about role-playing where, you know, you're going to lose your NPC or you're attacking something else they're going to lose. We've talked about metagaming where the players are sitting around feeling uncomfortable and the players are getting their social cues from you and whatnot. But what we haven't touched on, and one of the most important things, I think, is environment. Right. And we didn't really talk about how literally setting the scene we talked about the room that you play D in being set but what about the scene the itself? game yeah the in-game you what room your characters are in what yeah. do you guys do to make that horrifying yeah yeah i'll go yeah. first i would say don't get preoccupied with the end goal if the monster i think i've said something similar before but i know we get a lot of new listeners so the, if the monster that is on the other side of the door, as soon as you see that monster, that scare is gone. That monster is not as scary as the sound of that monster, as the smell of that monster, of how that monster has affected the room around you. So use your exploration skills that we talked about in the podcast 
to to set the scene and create the fear not by telling them what is there by describing what is around them because that is going to build up the fear more than just there ah, there's a it sounds like a beholder on the other side of the door all right well shit now i'm not scared now i go back to my imagination becomes those flat gray walls like doom that we talked about yeah. a couple episodes then instead of being immersed in the world so my big advice is don't rush to the end goal the game is not getting from A to B. It's the journey along the way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's no fun to see oh the pool of blood with the with the devil standing in the middle of it. Yeah. As much as it is to see the slowly seeping blood come from under the crack of the door. Yeah. Where you don't know what it is. Yeah. Right. And so, Dan, do you have a no? no it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, again, it's, you guys, it seems straightforward. Yeah, to me. It's, it's very straightforward to me. Yeah. Okay, uh, but I would do things like. Um, and I did this in the Call of Cthulhu game, um, and it's right in episode one, so it's not a spoiler, but like the crows. I have that one thing that's unsettling. It's not interactable. And we don't not, have the answer to. And right? you don't have the answer to it, but it is just sitting there stoically watching. Yeah. And Until it suddenly isn't. Until it suddenly isn't, right? And, yeah, and yeah. I did it with the wolves as well, sitting just at the edge of the, like, the periphery of your vision. They were just sitting there, and then... When light was intensified, they scattered and they regained their normalcy. So that is absence of the normal or presence of the abnormal. Exactly. How we do it. And th- that is what makes things unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. My final question, guys, if we're ready to move on to the last one. We've, t- we've given all of this advice on how to make things go right. What do we do when things go sour? What do we do when we go, oh, shit, this has gone wrong? Dice? Dice. That's how we fix the problem. That's the answer, guys. Dan, what did that land on? That's a there? 17, 17 for Terry. I rolled a crit, and then I also now have rolled a botch. Mm. So I'm on both ends of the spectrum today. Yeah, that's that's universe balancing. Adam, off. what did you get? I got a six. Well, You're up first, Terry. Excellent. Okay. I believe in contrast. Well, everybody should. It definitely exists. But I believe in using contrast within the game. So when things are going sour, you need to take a strategic break. You need to remove the characters from that environment, whether it be go from this professional studio that we have and go to the kitchen or whatever. Go and have your break. Um, Remove them from the darkness. Reward them with some interaction and start to gauge things from there. If you're noticing that it's going wrong, you need to take a break from this and you need to make the necessary adjustments as the DM. If things have gone wrong and you followed everything that you 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 intended to do, it is on you. It is your fault. It is not their fault. So you need to bring them out of that negative atmosphere, make the necessary adjustments before you go back in. That's it. That's my big wild piece of advice. I can't think of any way other than fixing your mistake by removing them from it that you would do. There's no... There's no trick to this. It's just have some social intelligence and, and take a break. So you're talking about when they're not taking it seriously or when the horror's falling flat? Sorry, or... this is when you've gone too far. You've pushed somebody over the edge. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I should have been clear on that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree with that 100% from a note that I got from Dan about three months ago. That from... just said, fuck you. Kind of. And there's this guy dressed as a leprechaun with some balloons that delivered it. We walked away. We took a big break for three months for the summer, right? And... Um, and Dan turned to me, we were walking to my car and he goes, man, I play D and D so I can be a hero. And this has been a fucking grind for 10 months where there's been no light or happiness. And we just lost after a big cliffhanger, the big things that we we set out to do, we devoted the last four sessions to, we didn't accomplish either of them. And the bad guys won 
twice over, and there was not a fucking thing I could do about it. And that is disheartening. Mm-hmm. And that is when the horror was too much. Yeah. When the, the when the dread and everything became too much for a player. And so I have now flipped that and said, you know what? We're going to take uh, a month and we're going to uh, play with some fake creatures. And it's going to be a bunch of crazy random one-shot bullshit things. And, uh, and there's boggles and swamps and uh, pixies. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I flipped on said to give that breath before we get back into it. Yeah. You have to listen to your players. And uh, the whole point of this was to be dark and, and feel the depression of this, this campaign and to have it be. I wanted to outstrad Curse of Strahd. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I wanted it to be actually oppressive and not just what it nobody ever plays Curse of Strahd the way it's supposed to be played. Everybody always. I mean Does we talked about this last session. Right? Supposed to be played? right? Where it's the big gothic horror in the atmosphere. No, man, everybody's sitting there making like <laughs> vampires suck jokes the yeah. entire time, right? Nobody ever plays it straight because it's so campy. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to out outdo that. I wanted to try to play it straight. Apparently, I did it too well. <laughs> and uh, and so taking a break and not just like leaving the room, but yeah. do some one shots. If somebody else wants to DM, yep, for a handful of one shots or or for a three session arc, let them yeah. give everybody a breather and then prepare to go back into it. And everyone knows what they're getting into again, and they can come prepared for it. This is especially effective if you can have them level. In between this, so that they can sit there and go, what new spells, what new abilities, what can I do to mitigate this? I need a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. So, um, I always love when you guys are in unison. It always makes me happy. <laughs> did we do it again? Yeah, we did. Um, Someone's got to track those. So, don't give me another stat to track, man. I can't. <laughs> uh, yes, you can. <laughs> and I will. Yeah, you will. So, uh, Dan, do you have a... Um, when it all goes wrong, what do you do? Um... What I, I, I I'll take the problem person aside and stab them. No, Have you um, can last every single roll. No, I, 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 crit the, I, I crit, oh, I crit, crit the, the one. Yeah, yeah. you get the crit. Um, no, man, I you guys physically getting up and removing the party uh, from the table to have a moment where your friends just hanging out to ease that stress. That's a great idea. Um, having a small mini series in the middle of your campaign. Just to relieve tension, that's a great idea. Um, but in the middle of the session, if things have gone horribly off the rails, um, and, and uh, pigs must be flying because I'm about to say this next sentence, this is why your prep is important. Um, oh my heart! Oh my god! <laughs> Fuck. So, so when <laughs> sounded pleasurable, <laughs> it was. <laughs> When you are doing your prep, um, be aware that uh, what's the thing you always say? Uh, Dan, get off of that. No. <laughs> Hard no. That's um, the problem. That's the yeah. problem. Rule number one in life never ask somebody what's that thing you always say. No, no, no. So uh, Adam always says uh, plans rarely make, uh, survive contact with the enemy. And, yeah. And. This will go the same for your campaign. If you're spending three or four like Dan sessions, stole that from like some general or something in the world. Uh, Adam's Adam stole that. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. That's not me. I think it was the is first it time Sun I heard Is it Churchill or something. It might be Sun Tzu. It might be the first time I heard it was from a chess master. 
And I went, well, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that in everything I ever yeah. saw. So uh, you could spend four sessions, or you could have planned out four sessions um, of slow build for this one climactic moment of terror for your party. But two sessions in, they decided to shoot uh, your uh, head cult leader. Or, um, and I'm speaking from experience here, party up with them and reform them before that reveal is made. Nice. Um, and then blow them up with dynamite. Um, the... <laughs> what? The... That's your fault, man. You put a lot of dynamite out there. I did put a lot of dynamite out there. Spoilers. Anyways, um, the... if the, In the middle of a session, if you are finding yourself now reeling because of this, your prep will save you. Try to have some sort of contingency plans going. Um, figure out what like the three big turning points, the three big decisions your party's going to have to do. Try to figure out what those are and have an idea. You might not even necessarily have to have it, you know, expertly detailed to the you know smallest iota, but have some sort of idea what will happen if the party takes a left down this main road, even though you're trying to get them to go right. Right. Um, when you plan out these four session arcs, a lot of it is railroady. Um, so you can get really strapped in. Give yourself options. Give yourself trails to go off to bring in. Um, I know when we were planning Call of Cthulhu, I had like 10 endings ready to go. Yeah. Um, and depending on what you guys chose to do, I had 10 endings I could bring in. That's the kind of stuff you have to do if you're doing a horror campaign. Have multiple endings just as options and then slowly build into it as they, as your party's making decisions. So, um, preempt the reactive, uh, DMing at the table, uh, with your prepping, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's just gotta be one of the things you do. If you want to run a successful horror campaign, you do gotta do a little bit more prep. I got to say this too, and here's the thing that nobody is saying, and I know we are talking about how to do successful horror, but I want to remind everybody that we if put... If Buzz Lightyear doesn't think he's a toy, why does he stop when the humans come in? Yeah. That's... Okay. Yeah. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> the thing that we keep forgetting is the fact that we are, we put a lot of pressure... built into his toy soul. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> the soul where he wrote Andy on it? Yeah. Yeah. We'll Starting you know. in November, it'll be the Adam is the It's a Mimic. <laughs> yeah, all right, fine. It's an Adam podcast. Yeah, it's, a, it's Adam's Mimic. It's yeah, Adam's. I, I don't have to change the initials. So um, the thing that we don't really acknowledge is the fact that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves for the cliffhangers, for the big boss monologues, and for the horror campaigns. And it is okay if everyone else around the table is just not feeling it. It's been a hard work week, or they're in a goofy mood, or someone's really excited because they just aced their driving test, whatever it is. And they just want to be happy. Remember, you are friends around a table, and your plans don't need to go the direction that you want them to go in. Mm -hmm. So when you have your... Your NPC or your big boss, Terry, you had Strahd get freaking coup de grade. Yeah. Right? When you played Curse of Strahd. Dan, you had your big serious biologist that was going to lead us all the way through that I immediately undermined every opportunity in the Deep Dark Irradiance. <laughs> How his, did you not expect that to happen with that character? So, so hold on, hold on. Let's not get derailed on that. <laughs> the point is, if you decide that you just want to say, you know what? 
let's have a good time, that is a viable option. Yeah. You don't have to stay with your plan because your friends will remember derailing Curse of Strahd. Yeah. Or uh, turning that, that haunted house into a bonfire. Because they just said, fuck it, no. I'm lighting the match. Why does nobody just burn Death House down? <laughs> right? Well, the two kids walk out of the mist at the beginning, like, hey, we need help. Just say, fuck you. <laughs> you obviously see, don't know see my how experience. how far you can kick Thorn. My experience <laughs> with not saving orphans in this game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we don't want more troubled heroes in their Dungeons and Dragons characters, so just kill all the orphans. Exactly. Right? right. So it is, and I feel that we have to say that as well. You don't have to really hammer home the horror. It's very, very difficult to scare a character because the player is choosing actively to be frightened. It's not reactive. It's proactive for the player. The player says, this is my character's phobia. Oh, and then and then worms showed up. My character is scared of worms. My character freaks out and runs away. Your player's not scared. This is not horror. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to scare a player around a table. It takes a lot of uh, intuition, and it takes a lot of skill, and it has blown up for me more times than it's ever worked, right? And I think every DM will say that, right? Yeah. That you fail way more often than you get it right. So, it's- but the thing is, you—I I do want to build into the fact that, like, if you're failing and and and. Don't let that get you down because there's a certain success and failure, especially when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, how many horror movies have been a success? When you think about it, like, yeah. like four without, yeah, without nerds going, it was fucking shit and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I don't mean cult movies either. I mean like legitimate Silence of the Lambs, Exorcist, Alien. Yeah. What else do we have? It. That wasn't a, that's not a whopping success in my opinion. I loved it, but it, it, is, it is for a lot of people, not for other people. I mean, even like the Tim Curry one, I saw that and I was like, well, that's Tim Curry dressed as a fucking clown. So there we go. Yeah. But I saw that when I was 13 and I never saw the end of it with the hokey spider. Mm. So I was terrified of clowns. And then it became one. But the point is, if you go with it, if you roll with, with how it is at the table, you will have another opportunity to try this again. Yep. And so, you will also be able to just watch and learn, as we keep saying, read the table, read the environment, and say, you know what? Everybody was super distracted because they had their phones. I'm just going to, six sessions before the next time I want to do horror, institute the rule at the table, no phones. Everybody turn them off, put them in the basket. And if they've got, oh, my D&D Beyond is on my uh, printed off. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That is a print page. Oddly feature. enough, this game is prepared for not requiring a phone. Yeah, And that that's just it, right? So... Um, I guess that's my last my last thing to, to say. My last piece of advice for DMs is yeah. I love the horror genre. It's not always necessary, even in the horror um, setting. Yeah. Because, I mean, I loved Scream and Cabin Fever. Uh, Young Frankenstein is comedy done in the horror setting. Yep. Right? We've got... Uh, Underworld is action done in the horror setting. There's a lot of different ways to do it and be open to embracing that. Yeah. My mine would be uh really focus on like if if we're gonna do final thoughts, um sure. really focus on that uh slow roll tension, but you need to have the standard there with the party if you're going. So you need to have that very human uh character that is kind of guiding the party along with the tone by how that NPC or that person is reacting. Yeah. So have, have your, is it the right term? Straight man. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have, have the straight man kind character, uh, to, uh, 
gauge the horror as you go. What do you, what do you mean? I don't know that term. Is that okay, a I, term? No, no, it's a comedy term. So you have, it's Abbott and Costello, right? Who's right. out first? There's the one guy freaking out and flipping out. The other guy just doesn't get it. And he's playing a totally stone face. He's straight-faced. He is a straight man. Oh, I and see. And so it's, it's an old, like, I don't know, 40s, 50s term yeah. for comedy duos. And there's it, always the comedic one and the straight man. In horror, you often have that too, where there's the nine teens that walk in and there's that one guy that's like, fuck this, no, I'm scared. That's it, I'm getting the fuck out. Yeah. And everybody laughs, but then you have that one person that's legitimately frightened on screen. Yeah. And they're always the one that makes it to the end because they're the one that, that they want you to identify with. Yeah. Right? That straight man that's feeling the fear. So you need to have that either NPC or person at the table or character or whatever it is. It could be yourself, like I said. Yeah, like, it could be you as the DM. Be that thing that forces your players to identify with someone reacting along with. Do you have any final thoughts, Terry? No, guys. I love it. That's it. I think yeah, you guys have covered everything. I would, I would just be repeating you guys. Um, I hope everybody finds that valuable. Horror is very difficult to pull off, but I think... What's the name of that book that you're reading? Everyone's going to be sending us messages. Oh, Flowers for Algernon? No, no, no. The other one. Oh, it's, uh, it's the, um, oh my God. <laughs> I put you on the spot. <laughs> it's uh look, it's a little cheesy, but you might like the techniques. It's the claiming of sleeping beauty. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah, you're going to I'm love it. so happy. It's the best bit. I'm reading it to By Anne else. Rice? <laughs> uh, it's her, um, her alternative name. I her think, pseudonym? Yeah, her pseudonym. I forget what it, it is. But, the, but the modern, the modern um, prints do have Anne Rice on the front of it. But yeah, it's a little cheesy, but look. You might learn something, all right? All right, guys. That's it for this week's episode on horror. Remember to tell your friends, and they can find us at iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com. Our email is at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for choosing into the It's a Mimic podcast. I am Terry. Across from me is Dan. To my right is Adam. We will catch you next time. We're out. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. Are you coughing? No, I was dribbling Pepsi down my chin. Is that his name? <laughs> yes! <laughs> so, uh, oh my god. <laughs> oh, this is, this. I laughed at the name and then realized what the dribbling was, and I was like, ah, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna get cut. <laughs>